Good morning. Welcome to Warehouse. If uh, you uh, need some information, there are cards nearby you that look exactly like this. I won't steal your coffee. I know you thought I was going for it. I have my own. And if you have questions anytime during the service, you can drop, fill those out and drop them in the uh, offering later on the service or the yellow boxes that you're hanging on the wall as you go out. We are in week four of a series called The Power of Hope, which is walking through uh, one of the letters in the New Testament, a letter to the church in Colossae. And as we go through this, the, this series is broken down into three separate sections. We've talked the first three weeks about hope specifically, and then this week we move to a new part of the series where we talk about the power of hope, which translates into an entirely new way of living. Uh, I was talking to our band and other people uh, in the uh, prayer room beforehand about this, and I'll remind you of one thing. We, we understand the powerlessness that comes from a lack of hope. We often experience when hope gets lost from our lives how difficult it makes it to act. We have less familiarity with the power of hope, that when hope is activated in our life, it allows us to live proactively and powerfully. Today is a key transition point in this series, because today we talk very specifically about what is a new way of living. You see, what happens is, because of hope, because of a concrete hope, what the writer of Colossians will begin to tell us is now, okay, now you can live an entirely new way. This, the song the band is going to play this morning will remind us of something important. Often we go through our lives and as we look at our actions, the paths we chose to take, the pursuits we took, the things we shot for. We look back and we realize we shot for far less than we could have. We could have gone for great, we went for mediocre. Why? There are lots of reasons. But one of the most important will be what we discussed today, the power of hope to translate into new, to a new life. Welcome to Warehouse. See, you have to know a little bit about the Bible to even understand that song, Hunt Like David. You know, like he hunted bears and stuff. He was a, yeah, he did stuff. David did stuff in his life. Not all of it was good, but Lord, he shot high. And uh, often he hit incredible things. Hey, come on, let's be honest. When we look at our lives, we'll say things like, yeah, I want to I wanna do something great. And then What? You know, sometimes it's a little bit scary to walk back and look at your last day or week or month or year. And New Year's resolutions, what I think what's interesting about them is how often we get to the end. We don't even remember what we said, but we set great goals and too often for a variety of reasons. They go absolutely nowhere. Sometimes we try and fail, but often we never even really try. And that's where hope as it's used in our culture is so different from hope as it's used in the Bible. Hope as it's used in our cul culture is more like, I really hope this is going to happen. I am not going to do a single thing about it, but wouldn't it be awesome if this happened in my life? It's not the biblical hope. 
If you have read much of the New Testament, if you've read any of the New Testament, one of the things you will discover is virtually all, a lot of the New Testament is letters that were written back to early churches that were founded, and virtually all of them do this. They, they do this sort of solid teaching segment about things that are now true if you follow Jesus, and then they move on to, okay, since that's true, now this is how you can live, and calls us to an extremely high way of living. What often we do is we neglect the whole first part of it, see the challenges and say, gee, wouldn't that be great? But either ever, never end up living that way or we systematically truncate a powerful new way of living into a system of rules that have absolutely no power. So, often we degenerate the great into the mediocre. We want to do something powerful with our lives and we, we find it hard and so we short-circuit it. Perhaps you look at something you wanted to do, you wanted to be a great musician, and yet as you actually started to play, you found it hard. I have to be honest, I, I wanted to play the guitar, but it made my fingers hurt. Those, those, those Joe, right? Those strings are hard, they hurt. I, I, build up, that's what everybody told me, build up calluses, but as far as I know, the only way to build up calluses is to cause pain to your fingers, and then the body reacts to that and covers it over. So I, I didn't do it. I mean, clearly, I didn't care that much about playing the guitar, I, I guess. That's what people have always told me when I stopped things. Apparently, you didn't care enough. Apparently, I didn't care enough. More dangerous, though, is what happens in... It's one thing to give up on something, which isn't all that important. It's another when we change the great into the mediocre and don't know the difference. This is what Paul talks about in this passage. He talks about us taking a great possibility of a new way to live, which is stunning, which changes the world and changes us, and how it systematically gets changed into the mediocre and we don't even know it. Now we call the mediocre great, and it isn't. It's just mediocre. And so this morning, I'm going to walk through this passage, one section of letter to Colossians, in the hope, in the hope that what will happen for each one of us is that at the end of this talk, we will feel a little confused. Yes, that's actually my hope. A little confused, a little unsettled, and a little more determined to put aside the easy pathway of spirituality to one that's far bigger and far greater. In the second chapter of <coughs> the letter of the Colossians, this is what Paul says. Therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live, your to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and firm in your faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Be careful not to allow anyone to captivate you through an empty, deceitful philosophy that is according to human traditions and the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Paul, after the beginning of this letter, he's writing to them about awesome things. There is hope. There is a solid content of hope. Something has been done for us that allows us to have a security that our lives are well kept in the hands of God, that we are safe and secure, and so we can now live in an entirely new way. And what Paul is concerned is it's going to get changed. And he says, now don't let anybody take you captive. I looked up that word captive. Fascinating <coughs> to me. 
you can decide yourself. The word captive, what it really, the first definition you get for that, again, I'm in the Net Bible, I'm quick on captive. The first definition I get for that is to be taken away as booty. Now, as much fun as it simply is to say, to be carried away as booty, <clears throat> I don't want to be carried off as booty. When you look at this, you look at, oh, you, oh, what's it saying? It's like, don't be deceived by this. No, 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 it's saying, don't get carried off as booty. You know what booty is? People. Focus. It is the spoils of war. I know that's what you're... It is the spoils of war. So somebody comes in and they win, right? They win the battle. What they get to do, it's sort of the rules of destroying the other side. What you get to do is you get to take all their stuff. And so it's like, you know, it, the, the, the armed forces come to take over a warehouse and then y'all are taken captive. That's different. Booty is the chairs. <laughs> I'm going to take that chair because that chair is awesome. I'm going to put that in my dining room. Inanimate objects. Paul says, do not let yourself become an inanimate object. Something that, again, it's just simply lift up and carried away. Powerless. Absolutely powerless. It doesn't say, don't get your mind all twisted up. Don't get a little bit off. Don't let yourself become an inanimate object that somebody carries away, that you have absolutely no force, no power in your life. It is the polar opposite of the power of hope. The power of hope allows us to live distinctly proactively. And Paul says, now the danger is right now, your danger is you're going to become like an inanimate object without any power that just gets carried along wherever by someone else. Don't do that. Seems to make a lot of sense. That would be bad. Okay, so how does that happen? It says, don't let yourself be carried off just like you're an inanimate object. I'm not going to use the word booty again, <laughs> although I just did, see. Um, through an empty philosophy that is according to the human traditions and elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Okay, what, what is that then? What is it? He says, like, you're, gonna, you can, you're in danger of losing all the power I promised you and hope through an empty, deceitful philosophy. Okay, what is that? Okay, to understand what that is, you've got to jump down in the passage the few verses to verses 16 through 18, because then Paul defines it. He says, this, this is what it is. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you with respect to food or drink, or in the matter of a feast, new moon, or Sabbath day. These are only a shadow of the things to come, but the reality is Christ. So do you get carried off as captive when you live for shadows, not real things? There is a, um, in, in Plato's Republic, there's a famous section called the cave. And the cave is an allegory that uh, Socrates tells Glaucon when he's trying to describe how we know things and how philosophy can free us to understand the world. That's all background. The, the idea of the cave is that what Socrates says is imagine some people who are chained to a wall facing the, in a cave. They're in facing inside the entire, their entire lives, and it's all they know. And what they see behind them, well, what's going on behind them is people are walking in front of a fire, and so shadows appear in the wall. They believe that's reality. That's all they know. And so one day they are re released from the shackles and turn around and discover that that which they thought was real, which they spent their entire time living based upon, was actually just shadows. It was only a representation of something. It wasn't the real thing. And Paul says, where you lose the power and become an inanimate object carried off without any hope, 
without any power in your life is when you start living for things that are shadows that aren't actually the real thing. This is one of the grave dangers of religion. We mistake the shadows for the real things. And what Paul does is he goes through a series of them. You know, you're, don't let anybody, why would we? Don't let anybody be your judge in terms of what you eat or what you drink or a new moon celebration. You think, I, I, you know, I personally haven't had anybody judge me about a new moon celebration or the Sabbath or feast. Well, what's, what's going on here is this. Christianity was a, this new thing, right? There was Judaism, this, this long line of teaching, and then the coming of Jesus Christ as a fulfillment of all that was prophesied. And, and what was happening is you had people who had known a certain way of, 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 of uh, following God and, and how now Christ had come to change that or to, to fill that out. And what was happening is that as these new people, Gentiles, were becoming Christians, were starting to follow Jesus, the older believers, the, the Jewish believers in Christ, were, were now saying, okay, that's great, this whole freedom in Jesus thing, oh, that's awesome. But, you know, we had this whole series of things that we've done in the past, like you can't eat lobster, true, shellfish, can't eat lobster, and, and once a month we have a new moon celebration, and you really need to come to that. I mean, it's kind of required, you know, it's part of the thing. And Sabbath, you know, every, every Saturday you need to do absolutely nothing. And, uh, we have a lot of feasts, too, and you really need to come to all of those. And so I, I imagine the scrupulous new followers who they had their pen and paper out, and they're jotting all these things down. Okay, I got a new moon on the Monday the 1st, and then I got sab every Saturday, and then, okay, I, what, what the, I can't eat this, 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 okay. Uh, and, then, and then I got some, some feasts I got to go to, and boy, my calendar is full. Boy, this... New life in Jesus is great. I now have the power to attend a lot of things and not eat certain foods. Well, what does this happen? Shadows, not reality. All of those things, food and drink, new moon, Sabbath, were pointing toward Christ. I'll give you one example. The Sabbath is a concept in the Old Testament where based upon the, the Ten Commandments, God would say, look, there's, there's six days you shall labor, seven that you shall rest. You know, and, and you know, essentially God was being kind to us and saying, y'all, you people will work seven days a week if I give you a chance, so take a break. You know, once a week, take a break. Just don't do anything, all right, on Saturday. But there was a deeper meaning to that, and the deeper meaning to it, which you'll find about everything in the Old Testament, the deeper meaning is it points to what Jesus Christ would come to do. And later what we're told is that the deeper meaning of this is Jesus Christ is procuring, he's purchasing rest for us. A place where we don't have to strive to achieve anything. Where our lives are whole, settled, where we experience the Hebrew concept of shalom. Peace and harmony in our lives. And so in the Old Testament, there was this idea at the end of the week you rest, but it was a picture of something that would happen, was that somebody would come to procure for us rest for our soul. And so once that had happened, there was no longer any purpose to the Sabbath. It was done because Jesus fulfilled it. And so what was happening is that you are now free. Your life and your soul is at rest. And what people were doing, it's like, that's, that's great, but we got rules for Saturday. No working, no cooking, no cleaning, no getting donkeys out of ditches, nothing. 
one of the grave dangers of religion is that it causes us to live for all the wrong things. We spend all of our lives, all of our energy, pursuing the set of rules, practices, events, which leaves no time to actually change our lives or change the world. Because my day timer, look that, I just went back to 1980. You see that? Day timer. Some of you are going, what, what is he talking about? I'll tell you later. My iPhone calendar is full. <laughs> sideways, either way. Got, I, got, I have turned it sideways. I can't find any more time because I got to do all this stuff and I got to remember all the things I can't do. Don't eat, don't drink, don't touch. Make sure you show up here. Make sure you don't show up there. Oh my goodness, if you show up at that place, then you're really toast. Excuse me. Here's the thing. In the middle of this passage, in the passage I asked Brad, our PowerPoint person, to take out of my presentation, then decided as I was standing here that I want it back in, which means he'll put it in the next service. Sorry, Brad. This is why we don't have to live for shadows. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been filled in him, who is head over every rule and authority, in whom you are also circumcised. Not, however, the circumcision done by human hands, but the removal of the fleshly body. That is the circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him with baptism, you've also been raised with him through faith and power of God who raised him from the dead. In Christ, the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. All of the prescribed religious rules he actually took care of. He has destroyed what was against us. Our certificate of indebtedness expressed in a decree opposed us. He has taken away by nailing it to the cross. Disarming the rulers and authorities, he has made a public disgrace of them, trying over them by, triumphing over them by the cross. That look, you spend your entire life trying to get approval. Don't eat, don't taste, don't touch. Attend this, don't attend this. Why? Because you're still trying to get right with God and it's already been done. You spend all of your power, all of your hope, all of your focus trying to accomplish something that's already done. You're wasting your time. Jesus has already taken your indebtedness. Everything that you had ever done to not be approved by God, to not be well in your soul, to not have peace, to not have rest. He has taken all of that and he's already disarmed it. It doesn't exist anymore. You are approved, accepted, loved, as we talked about last week, holy, blameless in the sight of God because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth, died for your sins, rose to forgive you and to make you whole, to secure for you a hope that could never be lost, that was sitting there waiting for you, that said, you, child of God, are completely forgiven, always loved, always will have a relationship with God. Now be free. Now go and live the world powerfully. Now begin to move into the world in ways that lives change. And then we go, that's great, but first I've got to do all of these things which make sure that I'm really okay. And so, we become captive entire life absorbed in trying to get right with God and you already are unable then to live with power. 
it gets a little worse. Because then this is what Paul also says. And this is the part that I want you to hear so strongly today. The end of the passage. If you've died with Christ to the elemental principles of the world, why do you submit to them as though you lived in the world? Do not handle, do not taste, do not judge, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use, found as they are on human commands and teaching. Even though they have the appearance of, of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship and false humility, uh, achieved by an unsparing treatment of the body, a wisdom with no true value, they in re reality result in fleshly indulgence. It's a crazy thing. Did any of you ever know someone whose life was very rigidly hemmed in by rules and then they got the opportunity to no longer live by them? It got worse. It's the problem. We hem our lives in thinking that will keep us safe. The truth is, it makes it worse. All the religious rules will make you, in the end, more indulgent, more likely to go off the deep end. Why do you think we continually find people who... It's not a coincidence that the news reports you hear of religious leaders who campaign stridently against a particular sin end up having done it. because all the strict practices, all the clear pronouncements that I would never do such a thing, deny the reality that we are fallen human beings with the potential of greatness if we follow Christ, but not if we deceive ourselves into believing we're fine by following a simple set of rules that lets us feel okay. The problem is that's often viewed as the height of spirituality. Let no one who delights in humility and worship of angels pass judgment on you, and they will. That word judgment there actually is translated as someone who's an umpire against you. It's like, it was so specific. It's like, this is what will happen. Let's say you determine, you know what? It's not the rules. I do not want to spend all of my life figuring out if I'm supposed to eat or drink this and if I have to go to this or that, and if I've gone, walked into a place I shouldn't have walked into, I do not want to spend all my life doing that. But yet so often in spiritual circles, then what will happen is you'll get that, oh, someone will be an umpire against you. Don't let it happen. Don't let anyone take you captive to the elemental principles of the world. Do not taste, do not handle, do not touch. Don't let anybody take you captive to that. Don't let me take you captive to that. Don't let me convince you about certain things you must and must not do, about requirements you must do in your lives. Don't let me do that. Don't let anyone do that. The challenging thing about Christianity is this is what you have the opportunity to do now. Follow Jesus. Spend each day waking up, looking in his words, seeing what he says, praying to him, walking through your events of your day and asking, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? How do I live today? 
how do I love God and love others? Would you help me to clear all the other stuff out of the way so I can live this way and not live for the rules, requirements, and the expectation of somebody else? One of the things I tell my public speaking students is they will be wonderful public speaking speakers if they can speak out of who they are, but the most challenging thing they will ever have to figure out is who, who they are because somebody else tells them who they are. You have voices in your head. And they're constantly telling you things like, hmm, you should have done that better. Oh, hmm. You have voices in your head constantly telling you you have to live better, holier, follow more rules, do more of the right things, and they're taking you captive. There's another voice. There's the voice of God who wants to speak through, cut through all that clutter and let you know you have a concrete hope. You're forgiven. If you believe in Jesus, you're forgiven. Not a single thing that can happen which will leave you condemned before the God of the universe ever. You're loved. Not a single thing you can do to lose that. Nothing. You have the presence of God with you. He promises to never forsake you, to never walk away. And now you have a calling to unleash the giftedness, the passion, the personality that is you and change the world. Don't settle for mediocrity. Don't settle for obeying a whole series of rules that will take up all of your time. Live bigger. That's what hope can allow you to do. Let's pray. Lord, help us to kill off religion and instead live for you. Help us to believe the things you've already said are true. Loved, forgiven, accepted, empowered called, made extraordinary the possibility of greatness. Help us to still the voices that would tell us there's still much to be done to be okay with you or to be okay with someone else and hear your voice. That yes, there is a great deal to be done, so much to be lived for, so much potential, so much to move into. So much change that could happen. So much more beauty that could come into the world. But it can come into the world as we are free, not as we keep trying to get okay. Lord, break all that down. Help us to see when we are living simply on the elementary principles of the world that help us to feel better for the moment, more okay. And allow us to grasp the difficult but simple concept that we are in you, fully loved, fully alive, and now we can go with power into the world because we have nothing to lose. All has been gained. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple things. First of all, as no doubt, oh, I would think, 
all of you know, or most of you know, and a good percentage of you know, I'll be leaving Warehouse in, in six months. And I just want to say one other thing about that. Um, I, I appreciate your, you know, the both your well wishes and your sense of sadness. There's a part of the, you know, the human soul that, you know, likes when people are sad that you're not doing something anymore. And yet, one of the things that as I'm thinking about this week is, I felt this all along. I said last week, I, I, I came to Warehouse knowing that I did not want a church to be about me. I think there's something deeply flawed in that. It's one of the flaws of the American church, quite honestly. So we make it about one guy. And, and it never was and it never has been. When you come here on Sunday morning, I don't park cars and I don't brew coffee. And as you know, I don't play the guitar or know how to. I don't sing. I don't run Kids Warehouse. I don't run any of the classrooms. I don't work with our teens. I don't run all the small groups. I don't run the Christmas toy store. I don't run our homeless ministry. I teach. And there will be others that will come in who will teach, and they'll teach effectively and powerfully. And what won't change at Warehouse is the mission. There are seven dedicated staff here who love what we do here and who give their heart and soul to it. There are hundreds of leaders from elders to small group leaders who give of their heart and soul every day and every week so that our mission to engage this culture, to serve the city, to pursue normal people never changes. And so I appreciate your, your sadness. I do, I do, and, and it means a lot. And yet I don't want you to lose sight of the bigger picture, which is that Warehouse is a great mission. It's not about me or you, it's about this community as a whole. And it will go on, go on strongly and powerfully uh, serving the city as it has done for the last 10 years. Okay, now, <clears throat> once again, December is awesome, and I want to remind you of a couple of things that are coming up which are important. The Christmas toy store, Village Toy Store, starts in earnest. This is the week of it, and so uh, actually at the end of the second service, we'll begin clearing the room and setting it up, and, and that was the editorial kingly we will begin to, but it'll be other people who will do it, not, not me. But then on the 16th and 17th, this will be a store serving the needs of our city. And it's not too, if you haven't bought a toy yet, it's not too late. You can bring it in any time this week. Those cards on the, the chairs with different colors, they have their wish list. See, these, these, these tell you what, what we're trying to, the different toys we're trying to get for different kids. And so if you haven't bought a toy yet, or you have, and you want to buy another one or a couple more, pick up one of these or two of these. There's a, there's a wish list on the back kiosk. And you can go, on to, go online at Target, or you can go to any store you want. And then bring the toys here at, at, at some point this week, the 16th and 17th is when the toy store happens in, in earnest. And uh, if you have any more questions about that, you can email us at toys at warehouse242.org. Okay, Christmas Eve is also coming, coming really fast, 13 days. And Christmas Eve, we'll having two services. They'll be coming, at, they'll be at 5.30 and at 7.30. Um, we will be using, as we do at Christmas Eve, a variety of artistic elements, creative elements intended to make this a day that's, or an evening that's very packed with poignancy, and it will be rich and it will be profound, quite honestly. I love what we do in Christmas Eve, much like I love what we do at Tenebrae and, and Easter. We bring a, the full creative force of Warehouse to bear on these services because we think they're really critically important, and there's something we can say distinctly in those nights. And so that's Christmas Eve. Doors will open at 4.30. You can come in, you know, and enjoy them. There'll be food and uh, drink and stuff like that, and and then the services are 5.30 and 7.30. There'll be a full-out, uh, pretty um, a 
designed Christmas Eve time for children during the 5.30 service. At 7.30, there'll be limited childcare. Again, if you're gonna be in town, I encourage you to be there for that and bring out your friends. It will be distinctly warehouse in terms of how we bring across that Christmas Eve service. If you want more information about warehouse, anything that's going on, go on our website, click on the banner of the skinny, and it will have contact numbers and names and details about different things that are happening. If you'd like someone to pray with you today, you go past that wall, first door on your right. Some people will sit down with you. They'll pray with you about absolutely anything at all. Now, if you would, please stand and receive the benediction. <clears throat> May you go out knowing work's already been done. There is not anything left to do to make your heart and soul right with God. It's been done. Now you're free. You're free to become the man and woman of God that he made you to be. You're free to use your passion and potential to change the world around you. May you know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth, lived, died, and rose for you because he wanted to make you alive. And the moment you received him, from that day and every day forward, you have the love of God your Father. You have the grace of Jesus that covers over all of your sin. And you have the presence of his Spirit in your life. Now go in peace.